This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people involved in the adoption process, with each episode hosted by recognisable voices sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. Now, enjoy the episode. Good morning or good afternoon. I hope everyone listening is having a wonderful day. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Sanam and I will be hosting today's podcast along with a very special guest. I am a former children's social worker who works in post-adoption support, but I am here today because today's podcast aligns so much with my previous role and is something I'm very passionate about, making many more people aware. So let's get into it. You Can Adopt has launched a new campaign highlighting the circle of support available to adopters to find resilient parents for children who typically wait the longest to be adopted. And this is exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. We want to explore the theme of support available to adopters. There is a variety of support services available for adopters throughout their journey from therapeutic and financial support to ongoing peer support through workshops, family days out, training sessions. And all of this support comes from a variety of different sources such as adoption agencies, social care workers, charities, employers, friends, relatives, peers, and so much more. And what we want to do is raise the awareness of how much support is available to adopters as adopters are in greatest demands for brother and sister groups, older children, children with additional and or complex needs, children from black and mixed heritage groups. Statistics show children from these groups represent around 59% of children waiting to be adopted. There are a lot of children out there waiting to be adopted, but this is over half of those. So what we want to do today is to explore that while some of these groups of children may bring additional challenges to new families, the power of family and permanent home can be transformational for these children. So I'm here with Emma who works with the National Adoption Strategy Team, who has a huge amount of knowledge about this sector and is also an adopter herself and is going to tell us more about her support and experience. So, hello, Emma. How are you? Hi, Sanam. I'm fine, thank you. Good afternoon to you. How's your day going? Really well, thank you. Got the kids off to school, which is always a big thing. Got rid of them for the day. (laughs) That's lovely. Bit of time for yourself then. Definitely. Sanam, I work for the National Adoption Strategy Team and I think just thinking about doing this podcast today, I was thinking about what's the most scariest job that I do, you know, being a wife, mum and a project manager and I would say actually doing my role is the most scariest thing. I've worked in the adoption sector now for over, this is where I make myself feel old, over 20 years doing a range of different jobs. My background, I started off in learning and development. I've worked across the education sector, working with children that will, they will class as vulnerable children, and I've loved it. I, th- I think for me, my, my journey into adoption, I'm an older mum, and like many adopters, I'd gone down the fertility route with my husband, Stephen. We did that how many years? Did we do that for three years? We did that for, and we had a bit of a break. And during that break, we talked about what would be the next steps. And I think being in this podcast today, it's that honesty. For me, it wasn't the craving of a child. We sat and we talked about wanting, you know, did we want a child? Did we want a birth child? Did we want to adopt? Did we want to foster? 
And it became really clear through the conversations with us as partners and wider family that we didn't really need that, filling that gap of a baby. So we kind of left the child side of the, the focus of the relationship for a long time and enjoyed trips off to New York and doing what we needed to do. I was um, training foster carers and mm-hmm. we just naturally went down the route of that we would like to become foster carers eventually. We always thought we'd want to foster children over the age of eight years old. And there was just one day I was training some foster carers and I overheard them talking about respite care and how their child that the fosters was going to go and stay with somebody else for a couple of weeks. They needed that break. And that really resonated with me. And it was that was really the start, I think, for me on that adoption journey. I went home, talked to my husband about the family and our family and the opportunities that we had for children in our family. Mm -hmm. Thinking about some of that stability in life for the children that they need and that consistency, some of the opportunities in the community. And that's where we really started on the adoption journey. We made that phone call back in 2013 and in 2014 was the year that we became adoptive parents for the first time. It seems a long time ago saying the year, but oh my God, it's passed so quickly. My little boy is 10 and my little girl, she's eight. Yeah, she's just gone eight. That's amazing. And how old are they when you adopted them, if you don't mind me asking? My little boy was 14 months. So we went down the, what people really see as the regular route of adoption. We contacted the adoption agency. We went through the matching process. So Ty was 14 months and he came to us in the February 2014. And then we actually got a phone call in the October of the same year to say that a baby was on the way full sibling would we consider adopting as you can imagine we went into adoption thinking we were going to adopt an eight-year-old child you know around that age and we ended up with a 14-month-old and a sibling in the May of 2015 a little girl came along not much of a gap there then No, and it's funny because looking back, reflecting back, you tend to, I think, a lot of people go into adoption with a vision of, I don't know, is it kin choosing? I did, I'll be honest. You you go in, you think, I don't want this, I don't want that. You can't choose those things in life. You can't choose that with birth children. I remember Ty coming along and we'd said about having a boy because... The community has boys when they get older and there's more, you know, you've got cricket clubs, you've got football clubs, you've got gymnastic clubs, whereas for girls, there's there's not much to keep them occupied at that age. And it just showed, you know, you cannot, you can't choose that life because, you know, not even six months later, a full sibling came along that was a girl. So you've had quite a bit of experience and it mustn't have been always the easiest of journeys. And I think one of the important things is for a lot of people maybe listening or people that aren't aware of is that there is so much support out there. So I think it's really important for us to sort of speak about that support that you would have received both before and after your journey. So I was just wondering, would you be able to tell us a bit more about sort of the process of adopting your children, especially with regards to what sort of training and support you would have received during the adoption assessment and preparation? Yeah, the adoption assessment, it's not easy. And I think even with my background of working in the children's care sector, it still wasn't easy. So I don't want anybody to think that's listening to this podcast that it was easier for me because I was in that sector. Sometimes it's made it harder because... I kind of know what's out there and what we could be accessing at times. I think for as part of the run-up to the adoption journey, 
for me, I think you've got to really think about where you are in your support network before you even get to the preparation groups in terms of that adoption support coming from local authority. I think you need to make sure that if you are in a relationship, it's a really solid relationship and be really honest with each other because it is tough. There will be the rollercoaster of emotions is the assessment. You know, as adults, it's not often that we say to social workers, come into our lives and scrutinise everything from our childhood right up to where we are now, our bank details, what your working life's going to be like when you have a child. That does happen through the assessment. So I think you've got to be ready mm-hmm. for that and look for the support before you even get to the assessment part. Mm-hmm. And I think once you've got that around you, you've got people to be able to go and have that discussion with and say, I'm really struggling. You know, it's been really tough. This social worker's come around today or the health practitioner's been around today and they've questioned me about, I don't know, I was told that I had to lose weight, which at the time is very difficult to hear. But when you're talking and you're voicing it with somebody in your support network, it makes it feel a little bit easier and a little bit clearer of why you're doing that. One of the things that really resonated with me during the adoption assessment and the preparation groups was the support of the social workers and all the practitioners that are around you. They're there to support you as a family. And when I'm talking about the family, I mean that family in the future to make sure that you're ready for that family and you're ready for those children that come. I really felt that even through the tough parts of the journey that in itself, that's a support because they are making sure that you're ready. A lot of the children that we adopt now do come with challenges. Um, my little boy, he came along and even now he looks like butter would not melt in his mouth. He's got the most clearest, perfect face. He has got additional challenges. Mm-hmm. He's in a specialist school and he's got hidden disabilities, which are really challenging. The preparation group really supported us as a family, not just me and my husband, but some of the wider family got to come along to those sessions and hear about some of the disabilities that these children may come with or some of the challenges that these children may come with. So it started to bring the story alive during that first initial period. How much did you know about your son's additional needs before adopting him? And did you know what support would be available at that point? I didn't know any of the additional needs that he Uh had. Um, I knew his journey, I knew his story Uh of where he'd got to. And as I've just said earlier, he came along a really independent 14 months old. And at first I thought, oh, very independent and I loved that because I felt that he'd come into the family and he'd really slotted in really well as the months went on it became clear that the independence was too much and that's when I started to talk to some of the nursery workers I got the health visitor involved from the doctors they came along and I spoke to them about some of his behavior really like he'd go to the fridge and he'd get himself out of yogurt at 16 months he'd want to do his own cereal Mm -hmm. he was very very independent didn't want any support and I think going back to the prep groups that's where that really started to resonate with me that I needed to do some work of my own as a parent Mm -hmm. I think if there's you know some advice that I could say to people wanting to go into adoption just going along to the preparation groups and working with social workers parenting's hard enough it's the biggest job in the world and there's no cost for it adopting a child is parenting plus So we do have to do some of that work as self. I think of some of the additional needs that Ty has got. 
if he had been my birth child and born with those additional needs, I'm sure that I would have researched those additional needs as well. So I kind of don't see it as any different. So I started to do a lot of reading as well. And I think that really helped me understand some of these behaviours and where they had come from. And they are attached to trauma. They're Mm -hmm. attached to what happened when he was in the womb, what happened to him afterwards, what happened to him when he was placed with foster carers. He's had quite a lot of significant moves in his early start. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do have an impact. I think sometimes it's really hard for society to see just how much that can impact on a child. Mm -hmm. So having that real kind of strong network around you. So I had the doctors were really good. His school was really good. I had my sister, Sally. She was really, really supportive with me. I'm not going to say that it was it was easy. It wasn't at the start. It was, you know, you had sometimes I felt like I was banging on people's doors and it's having that resilience and that support network around you as well to dig deep a little bit. There were a few tears and there's still a few tears. But that support network is so crucial though, isn't it? It's amazing to see how many people you've got supporting you around you. Definitely, yeah. Did you ever access any post-adoption support as well? Yeah, we've accessed quite a lot of support. Mm-hmm. So this is the Adoption Support Fund, which you can access for your child. I talk about Ty because he's the one who's got the additional needs. My little girl does have additional needs in the sense of she's a couple of years behind in her nurturing, but we've never really had to access that additional support other than just within schools. But Ty, we've accessed quite a lot. So in the sense of what we've accessed in terms of some of that post-adoption support, we've accessed the Adoption Support Fund, which gives families funding to support Mm -hmm. the children to have therapy. So he accessed that for over a couple of years. And I think for us as well as a family, what happened with that, they worked really closely with the schools. Again, I advocated for that to happen. And I think as a parent, you need to be prepared to do that if you need to do it. It's not easy. I don't find it easy at all. I come across as really confident. I find it really difficult saying, well, actually, you know, his therapist has requested a safe space in school. That's not easy sometimes to be banging on doors all the time and saying what their needs are. But I always think I never want to look back and think, I wish I would have done that. So the therapist, they gave us some real insight into what some of the additional um, support he would need in schools. So things such as emotion cards, the therapist gave us some emotion cards for school to use. So that there were that transition between the therapy he was getting and the school. At that time, he did go to mainstream school and he was struggling. He's got an EHCP. And again, that was a struggle in actually getting that. So I went and knocked on local authorities' door. And again, I think it's it's having that confidence to go and ask some of those questions to some of the areas so that is the send team within local authorities and I explained my worries and my concerns that I had for my son at the time and they actually supported me in putting a request in for his EHCP through local authority rather through the school so there are areas that you can tap into that's kind of outside the normal remit. I think you've just got to be prepared to go knocking on doors and ask those questions, and that's some of the things that I did. Mm -hmm. We had support from 
pupil premium. So again, went into school to ask how the pupil premium was being spent and what that looked like and what what did the children get for that. In schools, they supplied calm bags. A lot of the children who were adopted are a lot of the children with the needs like Tyler, who's got attachment mm-hmm. needs. He tends to, he will steal stuff or what is perceived as stealing stuff. So he will take things from home and take them into school and vice versa. But that's to do with the attachment and it's making school understand that. So at school, what they did is they gave him a pen from the teacher that he could bring home and vice versa. So they didn't necessarily talk about this pen's for you to take home so you don't take anything else that you shouldn't. Or she'd have like little gems on a desk that she knew he'd take and they need some of that for that transition to make them feel that they belong so it's actually being able to understand some of that and some of the reading that I'd I'd done helped me to understand Mm -hmm. that I will share during the podcast that some of the books that I've read that have really helped me because I've started off reading a lot of the theory books they helped but they were hard work and there's some absolutely superb books out there that are really easy reading that help you support some of these issues. I had a fabulous social worker as well who I could tap into, Chris. He was called and, you know, the amount of times I've just rung up and said, oh, Chris, I've been a really, really crap mother or even Stephen would ring him and say we're really struggling. And for him to just say, breathe, it's fine, you're not rubbish, that's normal behaviour, just that kind of support really, really helped. And then I think for me as well, just to share with some parents out there, things such as like, Ty has a blue badge. And again, I had to fight really, really hard to get that. But it's really, really helped us, you know, becomes overwhelmed at times in places that's really, really busy. And it just so helps to be able to think, right, I'm parked close to the entrance. I can get him very quickly into the car and leave. And local authority, again, they've worked very closely with us to make sure that we don't have to go through all the conversation again and kind of all the barriers that were put in place to say, well, this child isn't diagnosed, hasn't got a clinical diagnosis from the doctors because attachment isn't a clinical diagnosis. But the local authority worked with us on that. It wasn't easy. I'm not going to lie and say it was easy. It wasn't. I think it's always making sure, thinking, I am that child's advocate. Mm-hmm. So there's lots out there that I think you can access. We also have as well some additional support from education. It goes to a specialist school, sorry, as I said. He, it's a private specialist school, and again, that's funded through the local authority. I actually removed him from the mainstream school because he was really really struggling and local school local authority were great as was virtual schools so lots of support around that adoption support thank you so much for being so open and sharing all of that I think you touched on some really powerful points and I think one of them being that it's okay to ask for help and to put your hand up and say that you're struggling a bit and I think it's very evident from what you did and how how confident and open you were to admitting that that you managed the help you needed and you got so much help how did you go about finding out about all of, about what was available to you and your family? I think this is where you need to be really resilient because mm-hmm. it's not easy. It wasn't easy for me, even though I work in the sector and I'd worked for a local authority for a long time. It's I think a lot of it was understanding why his behaviour was like he was. So a lot of the reading that I did, the Sarah Nash books are great. Mm, yeah. Louise Bomber writes some really interesting books as well. I tended to do a little bit of, I suppose, soul searching myself so I made sure that my cup wasn't half empty. So I was going along for counselling. I was reading some of the Brenny Brown books. 
I looked at a lot of the, there's a magazine called Psychologist, which really helped me at the start, just some of that time out to say, you know, what do I need to do if I need to kind of push services? And I think understanding why a child's behaving in a certain way then supports you mm-hmm. in understanding what that child needs to support them. So doing the reading, you know, in terms of some of the Louise Bomber books, she explains how difficult it is for a child that has got some of these additional needs in a school environment. So then I could have that conversation with the school to say, this is what this child needs. You know, this is what my son needs. This is what will help him. It's since gone on to be that with my daughter as well in school, I can go in and use that knowledge that I've got to say they would really benefit from having this. So, yeah, I think for me, it was a little bit joining support groups. I think one size doesn't fit all. It's that honesty to say you've got to find what fits for you. I joined a support group online that were really, really helpful and they directed me to a lot of services. You've got your local adoption agencies as well that will support you on online you will ha- also have some connections with the regional adoption agencies they can really give you some help and support and some guidance but i think finding what fits for you is really important as a family as well because one size doesn't fit hot fit all i completely agree i think i have to point out that what you've done is actually amazing because when i worked in the field a lot of families i came across would always want to focus on their child's as a parent, you do you want the best for your child. But I think it's so important to be mindful that as a parent, to be able to parent yourself, you need to make sure that you're in a very like good and mindful state. And I just think it's so important that you managed to point that out, that you actually did what you needed to do to get yourself in a good state. So you researched into your child's needs to better understand him. And that's really helped you to sort of also navigate what sort of pathway you need to go down. So I think that's really, really important for a lot of people who are listening to be to be mindful of that. As much as your child also needs support, you as a parent also need that support. I think as well, just on that, you know, I maybe sound like, oh, God, yes, she she reads a lot. If you would have said to me 20 years ago, you will sit and read some of the books that you read now, I'd have laughed you out of the park. My, you know, my sister finds it hilarious that I read some of these books and, you know, I do. I really enjoy them now, you know, mindfulness books, but also the books around even the books that I've read for my children it makes me understand why I behave in a certain yeah. way. And it's definitely, definitely developed me as an individual. Mm. So really it's a win-win because it's supporting me knowing what my children need, but it's making me a better person along the way as well. I would never have put myself as a reader. I was more activist and theorist when it came to that learning style. Things change so much as you go through life. <laughs> you spoke so much about the the sort of family support network around you. How did that sort of help you throughout your journey? Sort of what community support was there other than your family? You spoke about peer groups. I mean, how else did that support you? I think, again, you have to find your feet. In You know, I remember taking the kids to school and, Ty's behaviour at times, it comes out as he fights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's times when I've thought, I wish he sat in the corner and cried. I mean, it's 10 and it's never, ever cried. You know, and his behaviour comes out as quite a troublesome little boy. And that was really difficult. So it's not always been that we have had that support from community, but we have formed some really, really good community groups. So they go down to the local cricket club. They've gone from being very, very young and the individuals there understand some of the behaviours that he has, which really helps because it's really difficult, I think, as a parent 
that you're trying to fit in. You know, we all become adults and people think all of those fears go away. They don't. You become an adult and you've still got all of those fears. You know, is my child looking? You know, have they got the right uniform on? Have they got the right shoes on? Have they got the, you know, it's bun day. Oh, God, I forgot my buns. And all of those things. And I think having a child with additional needs is really difficult. So you've got to find where you fit. I think, again, you go back to that resilience stage to say you will struggle with some of that because not everybody is supportive. Not everybody understands that a child can be impacted so much at such a young age. You know, I think I've always thought if you said to somebody, oh, I adopted a dog at 14 months and it had, you know, terrible trauma throughout those 14 months, some individuals seem to be able to understand that better Whereas when you say it about a child, they'll say, but he came to you at 14 months. Surely it's not had any impact. So that wasn't easy. You've got to find your own network. So, you know, I'd go along to things like the mother and baby groups. And I'd find that really difficult because, you know, they'd talk about, how was your birth? And I'd be thinking, how do I answer this? And what do I say? And some of that's really difficult. So I think for me, it's finding your support groups and who's there for you and, you know, I'm quite an honest person in the sense that it won't always work for mm-hmm. you. And that's okay, because I think even with a birth child, you'd have to find those support networks as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, going back to that parenting plus. And I, I think as well for family, you will have some family members that are absolutely superstars and some family members that you think, gosh, I never realised that they wouldn't support me as I thought they would. But again, I think that would happen with birth children as well. I don't think it's any different. Mm. I think just there's no guide to, on how to be a parent, whether it's a birth child or adopting a child. Is Everyone's journey is different, really, isn't it? But it's just about being aware of how you can get that support. You spoke a lot about accessing, about Thai accessing support from the Adoption Support Fund. Just wanting to know what your experience of the support was like that was offered to you. Did you sort of dip in and out of it or was it sort of over a consecutive amount of years? Are you currently still using it? You can access the Adoption Support Fund and the children have X amount of um, funding Mm -hmm. to support them for 12 months and then, again, the the 12 months period. We accessed the Adoption Support Fund, I think it was back in 2016, and we accessed that for a couple of years. We've been really lucky because when Ty went into school, the school that he goes to, he gets access to therapy, so we wanted that transition for him to have Mm -hmm the therapy to go into schools, which worked really, really well. If we didn't have that access to the school provision, I would still be accessing the Adoption Support Fund. Mm -hmm. I'd still be accessing it now. And again, I think it's that you've got to think about what kind of support you need for a child. Mm -hmm. You've got to do your own research Mm -hmm. and talk to your social workers, talk to other parents that have accessed that as well. There's a lot of support groups out there where you can go and talk to parents who have accessed the funds there's adopted adults that you can talk to as well they've really helped me in the sense of you know if you had your time again what would you be doing differently and I think don't be scared and don't be embarrassed about accessing some of this stuff if you had a birth child that was had a disability when you gave birth to them you'd be accessing that support anyway so just access everything that you feel fits and supports your child I agree at the end of the day the support is there it just needs that little just need that little bit of courage to say actually I need that help I completely agree how how valuable has the adoption support been for for your children and family the support that you get is just 
Massive. I think about doing this podcast, you know, I think about some of the additional needs that the children have. And again, I'll go back to my little boy in the sense that he does have those real additional significant needs. Without the support for him, we would definitely be in a different place. Definitely. I think we would definitely be seen as a family who were struggling, that were in crisis. I think you've got to be really mindful when you're accessing some of the support or thinking about accessing the support or having the concerns about accessing the support. It's about you as a family as a whole. Have the courage to access that support. Have the courage to ask. It's okay. We, we, you know, In the world of adoption, we do know that a lot of these children that are adopted do have additional needs. So there's support out there that can give you additional support. When we talk about adoption support, I think of adoption support being, you know, a really big pot of support, you know, whether that's community support, having a blue badge for your child, accessing therapeutic services, accessing mental health services, hospitals. You said a really good, interesting comment, and I just made me think, when was the first time you felt you needed to ask for support? Did you felt like you were at a crisis point, you were able to sort of pick out when you think actually things are getting a bit challenging now and we need to ask for help. When you start having those discussions. When I went back to the beginning to say about you as a couple or a single adopt mm-hmm. adopter, where are you in your journey in life? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you've got to be really resilient in thinking if we don't get support now, what's going to happen mm-hmm. in six months' time? You've got to really look where you are as a family and not ignore that. Mm -hmm. You've got to acknowledge that there are additional needs if additional needs come up and that you do need that support. You know, if if Ty were in a wheelchair needing an intravenous drip, we wouldn't ignore that. So why would you ignore he's got attachment issues? Mm -hmm. It's a need. His behaviour is displaying some additional needs and we need that support, not just for him, but for a family to grow and flourish, I think. As a family, what's my job as a parent is to bring those two children up so they can be well-rounded adults. And that's not just about reading and writing. If you said, for me, what's more important for both of them, to have social skills, I can teach them to read and write when you know they're 18, 19 years old. I want them to have some real confidence and social skills going into life. Sometimes I have to fight quite hard for that. And not fight, but I have to advocate for them in a way that's different to what say my sister does for her two children at the end of the day we are our children's biggest advocates really we want the best for them so that's that's amazing did you ever access support for yourself and your partner too or was that ever offered i know you access support i know you spoke about yourself doing research and doing counseling but i just wondered if through like the adoption support fund or through social services or anyone else if you ever access support for yourselves yeah i've had I mean, Stephen's not had any. He gets a lot of support through his friends. You know, he plays cricket, he's quite a sporty guy. And I think sometimes he accesses it maybe differently. It looks differently to what I do. Ty has a big attachment to me. He's very needy with me. And both Stephen and myself are very aware of that. And through the therapies that we've had, we're very aware of that. So I think I've tended to need that additional support sometimes that additional emotion support just to breathe so the counseling that I accessed because counseling can be very expensive that was through a local support group and I used to pay five pound a week for that I absolutely loved it again if you'd have said to me 10 years ago you'll be having counseling I'd have been like yeah whatever I loved it. I used to go in and I'd say to her, I don't know why I'm here today. I've got nothing to like share with you. And then 10 minutes later, I'd be sobbing on the sofa thinking, where did that come from? 
but I felt so much better closing the door and coming home. It's that little bit of I looked after myself and I made sure that I was okay. I think would I like to see more support for families to be able to access that quickly? I would because I think that would really, really benefit families. I think something like coaching for families, I mean, you can get it through peer-to-peer groups and sometimes it's really good to be able to be in a peer-to-peer group and hear and see that other individuals, families are having the same experiences as you. That makes you feel so much better, but it's not as accessible as maybe it should be, could be. I think that's a very good point to touch on, to be fair, to make obviously people aware. I think as well, it's a very known thing that we need more adopters for children that typically wait longer. So children over five or children in sibling groups or children of complex needs. What would you say to anyone considering adoption about the support available? What sort of advice would you give in general? I shared earlier that I think when you are trying for a child or when you're thinking about a child, you have this perception in your head of what you think is perfect. I don't think perfect ever exists. A child could come along and you could have additional needs in that child without even really thinking about that, you know, that that child has additional needs. I think, you know, if you think about, I've got two children, one of them's got real significant needs at 10, the other hasn't at eight. However, you know, touch would it never ever happened one of them could be in an accident that they needed me to change my life drastically to support their needs so I, I kind of struggle sometimes that we go into adoption thinking about this perfect vision I don't think the perfect vision exists whether it's birth children or adopted children I think there's a lot of children out there that do need additional support in adoption so I think you've got to think about yourselves and why you're coming into adoption and are you resilient enough and really why are you coming into adopt is it to fill your gap and need and I think if it is you maybe need to just really think about that and where you are as a as an individual because I don't think yeah, I don't think an adopted child is there to fill that gap and that need. I agree. I think on the other part, you know, thinking about siblings, you know, I've got two children who you look at them together and you think they look so alike. You just think, what would they be doing without each other? They've actually got a third sibling, younger brother, and I fought very hard for the children to have contact with him. He's gone on to be adopted. And again, you know, to see them together and to see that they're going to have that contact with each other in the future, it is amazing. However, I won't lie and say that at the start of the adoption journey, could I see that happening? It scared me and it really did scare me. But I think you've got to realise going into adoption that that's their story. It's not ours. We can't rub out the fact that they're adopted and they come with additional needs you've got to give them as much support as you can. And do you know what? I look at my two and I just think they are wonderful, wonderful kids and they are mine. Oh, that's adorable. I think when you speak about sort of when people are considering adoption and they wonder, am I resilient enough? I think that's where the training comes in prior to adopting. And I'm sure that you would have accessed a lot of courses or programs before adopting, before sort of making that decision. Yes, I want to officially adopt. I think the preparation groups get you really ready for what could be and I think it's a little bit like you're given the information prior 
to knowing what may happen, what could happen, <laughs> what child you will get placed with you, because you mm-hmm. don't know. You know, I shared earlier that, you know, Tyler came along. He, on the outside, he looks so perfect. I remember taking him to the school that he's at now and they said, oh, he's beautiful. He's, you know, he won't struggle with us. In my head, I was thinking, just wait until he settles in and he feels comfortable with you and then you will see the behaviours come out. And they did. And that has been his journey. That's what his story is. Thank you so much, Emma. That's been really interesting to hear about. And I think just to round off, it would just be great to get some general reflections about your overall experience so far. It'd be amazing if you could tell us a little bit more about what your family life is like today. Ty broke his collarbone a couple of weeks ago and is a very active little boy. And so that's had its issues, you mm-hmm. know, added to it. He didn't mm-hmm. sleep on a night anyway. And so you can yeah. imagine what it's like with a broken collarbone. But yeah. you know what? That's part and parcel of being a parent. Honey's just gone eight and she is adorable. She's a chatterbox. She drives me crazy. I think, you know, I am 48 years old. Stephen will be 50 next week. And I think, God, they kill me. But I wouldn't want it any different. Like we go on holiday each year. We do all of the things that a regular family do with just that little bit of extra parenting plus But you know what? We're really, really lucky because having the word adoption attached to us allows us to access that extra support. I hope hope he's okay. I hope his collarbone heals quickly and it doesn't cause any more distress. (laughs) I hope so. Tell us what it's like then as like a day day in life in in your household. Because I know you're a working mum, so it's not always the easiest thing as well. What's a typical day like? It isn't easy on days and then days is dream days and again I don't think it's any different to the normal working mum household you know we have as moans and grumbles of getting out of bed and getting the kids up. They both do go to separate schools so that can be a challenge in itself. You know this morning we had it at the door where Ty pushed honey, honey pushed Ty pushed back again so she hit him on his collarbone so just the same as every other household but I want it like that I want that little bit of craziness in there I think for me as a working mum I never wanted to lose my identity and I love working I love my job and I've just been really really lucky that a lot of my work helps me in my personal life as well and I think one of the biggest things for me is my colleagues really help and support me because I think they understand the world of adoption as well. And that's not just been in the job that I do now, but jobs in the past. But yeah, it's not easy at times, but I don't think any mum of two young children's life is easy. Um, And do you know what? It sounds like a very typical sibling relationship, to be honest, a little fighting here and there. It's very, (laughs) it happens everywhere, doesn't it? (laughs) Definitely. And lastly, I just want to ask you, why do you think adopting children with additional needs is so important? The children, are there? I think I might too, and I think they didn't choose the start in life that they had. And it's the children, they need that support, they need that stability. I think back to now, having reflected, you know, doing this podcast and thinking about some of the things that we're talking about, I think back over that almost 10-year journey with Ty and it's been challenging. I'm not going to say that it hasn't been challenging. There's been tears, there's been joy, there's been laughter. But he is a little boy all the way through it. He's a little boy that's got additional needs. I think sometimes, you know, children become adults and society can forget about them. He came into our life so we could give him those opportunities that he maybe wouldn't see wouldn't have got the opportunity to be able to see whether that were in foster care, long-term foster care. I think having that stable family, 
for both of them and them both being together is just, it's what a family's about. It's what those children deserve. So, yeah, I think it is really important that adopting children with additional needs, it's the children. They need parents out there that will give them that stability and that support and that consistency. Oh, Emma, thank you so much for being so open. You shared so much about the support you've accessed and you've been so honest about how you access this, access it and what you thought about it. I think it's just so good to know how much support there is out there and that that support is available throughout their journey in life. And I think that's just amazing to hear. So thank you so much for that. I think that just about finishes everything up for us. So thank you for coming along today and for sharing your reflections with us because we all really, really appreciate it. I know everyone listening as well would really appreciate to hear your your journey in adoption. Thank you. Fab, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. Listen out for more new episodes coming up. For more information and to take the first step towards growing your family, visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt.